Welcome to the Xbox Wrap-Up Podcast. Your Friday episode is a little late, and uh, I didn't realize this, but it was because I needed a mental health time. My name is Captain Logan, or just Logan. You can uh, always call me whatever you want, I guess, in this case. It doesn't really matter, but we're going to be talking about a bunch of news that happened this week. Um, We found out a bunch of details on Halo's co-op campaign flighting. We're going to be diving into the details about what you can expect with that. Uh, We're also going to be talking a lot about Skull and Bones, something that is expected to come out hopefully within the next year, maybe a little bit sooner, and kind of what to know going into that. Um, It's it's something that if you're a fantasy thieves, you've probably heard about and may be interested in. So we're going to be talking about what to expect uh, with the MSRB uh, getting registered in a couple different countries, as well as some of the history behind it as well, too. Um, I want to dive into something that's been going on with the gaming industry uh with the community as well um in social media because i think that there has been some serious issues going on lately that have really made the wells toxic someone has poisoned the wells of the gaming community on uh, social media and it's been a real shame that people can't just enjoy themselves online and not have to worry about getting harassed or treated poorly or attacked uh because of something that was um um just an expectation there's shitty expectations out there so we've also got the of course the the beginning of the month so there's um new games that are available through the different services with xbox uh gold as well as uh ps plus so and also don't forget i forgot to mention this later on um go play far cry 5 for me on game pass because that's now available as well too but with that let's get into the show All right, let's talk about Halo Infinite and the big news that came out of the Waypoint discussion that was talking about the campaign network co-op preview uh, that was written up by Alex Wakeford. This is going to be with lead world designer John Mulkey and principal software engineering lead Isaac Bender. Uh, a lot of this is kind of for fun. They're they're here to kind of talk about Halo camp- campaign uh, co-op and not dive into too many details but give a good enough overview to kind of uh let people know what to expect with the upcoming uh flighting that is going to be happening on july 15th and basically what we learned is is that there's a lot of interesting ideas that they're planning on this uh because Halo Infinite is a open world-esque type of game. Uh, This is very different than what most Halos have been. If you're a fan of the franchise, you understand this uh, very easily. So you might be wondering how co-op is going to work in this more open world status. And that's kind of what this Waypoint dove into. a lot of the questions that I that were in here, I think, were really good. Uh, there's still some questions that need to be uh, kind of answered as a result of this, uh, but I think this is a good basis to kind of prop us up to get ready to start flighting. Uh, with flighting, you want to expect to be flighting for a couple weeks and then have about uh, two weeks after that to kind of analyze the data, see what needs to be addressed, and then put it into practice to be able to develop off of that while they kind of uh, do their own internal testing to push stuff out uh, further and further to do more flighting. So while uh, campaign flighting, uh, the co-op is coming out in July 15th, I would not expect this feature to roll out very quickly. I would expect this to be something that we're probably going to see somewhere around October, November of this year at the earliest. 
So let's dive into this and talk about some of the questions that got answered as a result of this interview. Um, they mainly wanted to talk about the co-op experience, what to expect with it. And the biggest answer that they said was obviously uh, pertaining to saves. How do you deal with having four player co-op uh, in a game that is open world and make sure that everyone has progress. Um, and I thought that this was actually a really great answer from Isaac. Uh, Isaac says, one of our core principles is, is that we don't want to require you to have an, to have, to have an isolated co-op save. Of course, you can use a separate save slot for co-op if you want, but we wanted to give players the option to have co-op progress count towards your quote unquote main playthrough, if that's how you want to play. We also wanted everyone's progress to count toward their own saves, regardless of who in the fire team lead is. I've played multiple no, uh, number of co-op games where quote unquote player two's progress essentially doesn't count. And I've always found that disappointing. Uh, that right there speaks to, I think, a lot of people's concerns about wanting to kip, kick off a game together with someone and wanting to play through it co-op, uh, but not getting the achievements for that game because you're playing co-op. Um, I've seen this with friends and their playthroughs. It's a big bummer. This is a problem that is coming uh, as a result of Starfield, if I recall. Uh, so you're not going to be able to progress through your story uh, if you're playing co-op in uh, Starfield, if I remember. I could be wrong about this, so so forgive me. I'm trying to remember what was going on uh, a couple weeks ago when we got the deeper dive into Starfield from the Xbox Bethesda Showcase. So if my information's off on that, then I apologize. Um, but I like this approach because the idea of being able to play co-op whether you're playing with two people or three people or four people really won't impact how other people's uh, save files will deal with uh, achievements or being able to gather stuff or being able to level up and things like that. So I really appreciate that. One of the other questions is, how is this going to work in that case? Um, if everyone gets credit towards their own playthrough, not everyone's going to want to start a fresh save. So how is that going to be played off of? Um, and they're doing kind of an interesting way to go about this. Um, they want to allow every player to be able to jump into their main save and play with others without having it be one of those situations where uh, I have beaten the entire game. You are starting off fresh when you jump into the game with me, everything's already done. So there's nothing to really give you any progress towards those achievements. So what they're going to do is uh, what they're referring to internally, which I think is a really bad bad thing to, to call it based on what it references, but they're calling it No Spartan Left Behind, um, which is kind of a play on the idea of uh, No Child Left Behind, which was uh, a a weird thing to kind of reference but uh the say th the way that they're handling this is through something they call internally referred to as no spartans left behind when players join the fire team and choose their save slots to play on the game aggregates the states of all missions across those saves and sets up a world state in which any missions completed by all fire team members 
are marked as completed, while any missions not completed by all are marked as incomplete. So essentially, if you go into the game and you're playing on your main save and you've completed the entire campaign and you've gotten all of the uh, all of the different things and you jump in with someone and they haven't played the game at all, you will essentially be starting on a fresh save. I really like this approach. I think it does a lot to ensure that anyone can drop in and play with you. Um, one of the perks of a game like Sea of Thieves is that be, there's no player progression uh, outside of getting cosmetics and levels that don't impact your power. So it's a horizontal uh, playing field in that case. Is there's no there's no vertical. Uh, hill that you have to climb to get more powerful although there are ways to power up your character in halo um, they're they're essentially giving you a way to play through the game with what you have and anything that is not complete is going to be able to be completed once again Isaac kind of goes in uh, and talks a little bit about this and says, you can think of the system as creating a version of the world that's like the quote-unquote lowest common denominator uh, of everyone's campaign progress. This way, no matter what you do, no one is completing missions out of order. What this means is that any unlocks you find in co-op are retained in single player. So if you're having a really hard time collecting a skull, you can get it in a game with a friend. And if they collect it while you're in that session, you'll get it too. I really like the idea of this. Uh, again, I, I cannot emphasize how nice it is to think about going through campaign with another group and being able to complete it lasso because I don't feel like I can complete the game uh, and doing lasso. But being able to do it with other people will make it easier even if we decide to do it on a difficulty that is higher up. Um, let's talk a little bit about crossplay. So the question was asked, uh, network co-op is coming to Xbox One, Xbox Series X and S and PC. Are there any differences in overall experience that players should expect depending on which platform they're on? Maloki, uh, or Mulkey, uh, says that the gameplay experience you will have will be the same regardless of platform. This is imperative requirement in supporting co-op crossplay. Uh, Isaac goes on to say that crossplay is fully supported. There are differences in graphics quality and frame rate, but that applies equally to single player. So some of the things that they talk about um, are what are the different configurations of players and platforms that are supported with Infinite's network co-op. Isaac goes on to talk about uh, any combination of PCs or Xbox up to four players are supported, as is playing over Xbox Cloud Gaming. All co-op games are hosted on dedicated servers. And I really like that. That's cool to hear. You know, like you can be playing on Xbox Game Cloud if you happen to be abroad uh, or not at your home and still be able to jump in with friends on a night if you happen to be out and about and you want to stream it and you can jump onto uh, a browser or your phone with a controller um, or a Kishi if you have a Razer Kishi too and be able to uh, have fun and just enjoy that. Um, I think it's really neat that they're doing this. I think this is something that they definitely wanted to have at launch. Uh, the biggest problem that you run into is, of course, development time. Uh, the scope that they needed to make sure that multiplayer was good, it was set up, they had a, a really hard road ahead of them. 
and having the extra year really helped out with the campaign. Um, I think multiplayer was in a better state because they flighted it early. They allowed people to uh, experience it and they wanted to make sure that it was ready to go because they had HCS uh, kind of on the the docket. You know, when uh, Halo Infinite was going to launch, they, they planned on it launching um, on the, the launch of the console and HCS cs was expected to uh, pop up that december so there was definitely an expectation that multiplayer had to be ready to go for esports um, that was going to be an integral part of keeping the game's life uh interesting while people played through the campaign the campaign obviously came out later in december um but with this it's clear that they wanted to get campaign out because they didn't feel like they could release multiplayer uh, without campaign quick on the heels. Um, as such, they released multiplayer when it was ready because that obviously felt like it had the most amount of time, was probably the easier to, to develop for uh, due to balancing and stuff and testing. Uh, when you open the game up to open world and you offer different abilities that aren't in the main game, that's when you start running into a lot of those weird wonky bugs, especially when you bring vehicles into it uh, and vehicles can go anywhere so campaign felt like there were some major issues that they wanted to address uh, which is probably why they delayed co-op because they knew that you could at least play through the campaign uh, on your own and have a very unique experience without too many weird interactions uh, which they even talked about a little bit in this that, that don't really pertain to it but there's definitely bugs that they've run into as a result of uh, the co-op uh, aspect of the game one of the other questions that I didn't really think was uh, a, a big thing to really bring into, but I know a lot of people might be asking how uh, campaign co-op is going to play when you are one person who has um, control of Master Chief. What do you do when you have uh, multiple people jumping in for campaign co-op? In the past, they've had other characters like Arbiters or uh, different members of Blue Team, things like that. And with this, they said that you are going to be Master Chief everyone else is also going to be master chief uh mulkey says that this is in support of a goal that co-op allows players to feel like they are playing through their campaign but also together all progress made is progress kept in the campaign regardless if it's uh, solo or co-op uh play so in both um uh chief is chief in this instance they're saying in both um halo ce halo 2 and halo 4 chief is chief making his way through the zeta halo halo uh they also go on to talk about the world of halo infinite and it being incredibly expansive this is kind of talking a little bit uh about how far can you go away from your friends uh, while you're playing to be able to work on stuff and there's been some flack on this on online i've noticed uh to to really uh, it feels like they they found out something that I'll talk about here in a sec. So I really, I'll, I'll just say what they're, what they're talking, what they're doing, and you can kind of be your judge, and I'll kind of address it afterwards. Um, but they're talking about the world of Halo Infinite is incredibly expansive. Can I decide to go liberate a fob while my co-op buddy heads in the other direction to take down a high-value target? How exact exactly does the game handle it if players get too far in the open world? How will it handle players being separated in more enclosed missions? Mulkey goes on to talk about this, and I'll just read the quote. Uh, the whole point of playing together is just that, playing together. Co-op allows a group of friends to join up as a fire team and tackle various locations on the ring together. 
to that end, we've established what is called Area of Operations, or AOO. This is the maximum distance that players in a fire team can stray from one to uh, or from one another as they explore and tackle the challenges of Zeta Halo. If you stray too far from your fire team, you'll get a warning to return to the team. If you ignore the, that warning and continue, you will be killed for going AWOL and be spawned back on your nearest teammate. So they kind of address this uh, a little bit, but let's dive into the details about how large the area of operations is. And Isaac says that it's an interesting balance to strike because we want players to have fun of fighting together, but we also don't want it to feel like the game is forcing you to be joined at the hip, so to speak. We landed on tuning the AOO, or Area of Operations, with two values, an inner warning radius, which is 800 feet, and an outer radius uh, that is a kill radius at 1,000 feet. To give you an idea of that scale in-game, if, if two of you want to hit a really big object or objective like the Banished Dig site, the AOO will definitely allow you to tackle uh, an objective of that size from opposite sides with room to spare. So there's been some interesting comments on this uh, online. I've seen some uh, people commenting about how there are other games that have uh, like Ghostlands uh, or Ghost ghost no, wildlands ghost recon wildlands uh, allows people to be very far from each other um, in a co-op game and i think this is a good kind of way for them to deal with this halo is not a huge game by any means when it comes to the campaign the world is not huge uh, and there's definitely like places that you want to go to, to work on missions and clear out camps and liberate fobs and the whole point like they mentioned was to be playing with other people um and i like the idea of that i like the idea that you know if you were to play halo 3 or halo 1 or halo 2 it doesn't matter which halo uh there is a safe spot where you have to be if you want to respawn your teammate you have to be out of combat for a certain amount of areas um and you're always kind of together that's kind of the goal of it and they talk about this you are a fire team you should be together your fire team can approach a situation from multiple angles and i'm really looking forward to doing that because i think you can have a lot of fun uh given the ai in halo infinite and how much fun it is to uh be able to mess with people or mess with aliens and and uh, kind of mess with the banished and and see if you can draw them out to different areas so you can flank them things like that be a little more tactical about this um and having you uh, have an area that you can work within that's large enough to be able to do that is great without it being so the point where one person can just run off and go do something uh, without consequences. You you don't have to be joined at the hip, but you do have to be a fire team. And I, I'm totally fine with that. And a thousand feet seems like it's going to be a fairly big different or big distance. I don't see that really running into a problem, um, but I think that's where because we're going into the flighting, uh, having the ability to give feedback on this may help kind of give them an idea of what they think is large enough, may not necessarily be large enough for what the player base wants to do. And I think that goes into account with uh, the verticality of the game as well, too. After a certain point, you're going to be able to get uh, flying vehicles. You're, you'll have the wasps and such. And I think that you'll want to take into account how high can you go up? How low uh, can you go below certain areas to drop below the horizon to kind of get out of fire? Things like that. 
and uh, having this radius, you kind of want to be careful. Like you're not going to be in a situation where you go so high that it ends up killing your teammate um, down on the ground. Or how does that work? You know, who determines who's in charge of where the center of the area of operations is? So we still have a few questions about this and how it's going to work. And I think that the flighting will help kind of identify how that all gets set up. One of the other questions that came up that I actually really appreciate is how will Spartan cores affect campaign co-op? Uh, these are the items that you need to be able to upgrade your equipment if you're playing through. Um, it's it's how you upgrade your grapple shot to reduce the cooldown or to add an electricity effect to it or how you can uh, get your drop wall to be stronger or um, uh, have more charges of it, things like that. Um, I actually can't remember what the uh, the thing is with that, but uh, there's there's ways to have like the sensor pulse uh, reveal the enemy health of any enemy within it or make it larger. Um, so having Spartan cores is a very integral part of the gameplay to feel more powerful as you kind of go along. Uh, so they're wondering how is it going to work if it's a case that if player one upgrades an ability uh, that is then shared with player two. So Isaac goes on to say that upgrades and cores are tracked separately per player. If anyone collects a core in co-op, then everyone in the fire team who has not already collected that core will get credit for it. So if player one gets one and player two hasn't picked that one up already, player two will automatically get credit for it and they can both then independently spend their cores how they want so if player one decides to upgrade their grapple shot player two is not forced to to have the upgraded grapple shot they can put their core into the drop shield or the sensor beacon it's totally up to each individual player much like you would if you're playing solo to upgrade your your spartan the way you want to when you get these cores the main difference here is that anyone can pick up a core and be able to give that to everyone else. So you don't necessarily have to be right there picking up the core uh, at, the, at the time that it's found. Um, I really like that, by the way. I think that's a great way to go about it because then one person can focus on building up the drop wall. One person can focus on building up the sensor. One person can focus on uh, getting their, um, uh, what's it called, the grapple shot. Uh, built up things like that uh, and it, it really kind of helps kind of spread around the responsibility of how do you deal with being uh, multiple Spartans in multiple areas one person wants to make sure that you get the uh, really good sensor early but you don't want to sacrifice the drop shield as a result of that but you still want to have like a reduced cooldown on the grapple shot um, it's going to cater to other people's play styles very very well and I and I think that's a great way to kind of approach this um, given that you are for once in Halo going to be getting upgrades Getting into the, I think is the last topic that they covered uh, with this. And this was actually something that um, still left a few questions in my mind. Uh, but let's dive into mission replay. Uh, with past Halo games, they were all level-based. So you could jump into the chapter select or the level select and be able to replay a mission co-op. You could add skulls, you could change difficulty, you could do whatever you wanted because it was all based on each individual level. Given that Zeta Halo is an open world, 
how are they going to have you uh, be able to play through the game with people at different difficulties uh, with different skulls, things like that? Um, how is that going to work? So the question of mission replay uh, is a feature that they're looking to bring alongside the network uh, co-op update. Um, this is something that they said that they are going to be flighting as well uh, come July 15th. So they want to make sure that players have an opportunity to play around with it to see if they can find any major bugs that are going to inhibit uh, the progress as they work towards getting the update out. Mulkey says that Mission Replay has always been a mainstay of Halo, and we want to continue that tradition with Halo Infinite. However, the more open nature of Infinite poses new creative challenges that did not exist when missions were broken up into their own discrete levels. You could simply reload that level and replay it. In Infinite, missions are locations in a much larger play space and other mission locations. We are leaning on the TAC map, which if you don't know is just their, their open world map. Uh, if you don't remember what that was called, I, I had to think about it to remember what the heck of the tap map, uh, TAC map was, uh, as your gateway to interacting with individual missions. In both solo and co-op play, you can open the, your TAC map, which I hate the name of, highlight a completed mission, and then choose replay. Now, pay attention, both solo and co-op play. So if you want to go back and play through the campaign solo, or if there was a, a hub or a mission that you really enjoyed and you just want to go and replay that, um, you can go and do that as well once this update goes live, according to what they're saying here. You'll be then prompted to select the difficulty and be offered to activate any skulls you or your teammates have collected. That was an interesting line because uh, as you're going through and you're replaying missions, um, you can choose the difficulty. I'm still very curious, given that you're going to be choosing the, uh, the save file that you want to uh, put progress towards when you start a campaign co-op mission in, when you choose that, you're given an opportunity to change the difficulty. But given that it's a co-op uh, play, they haven't really addressed how you'll be able to play the game so that it is the same difficulty for uh, what you want when you're playing co-op. Um, a lot of people I know would rather play on uh, hardcore or normal and other people would want to play on uh, what is it elite or or legendary so when you're playing co-op if everyone is forced on to uh, the fire team leads difficulty if they put it too high or too low it's going to impact uh, the actual gameplay for the other players given that they're at different skills uh, so I'm very curious how this is going to work for when you kick off the campaign to start. Like, how does this impact the beginning of a co-op jump in? Uh, you, it's all well and good to, to be able to choose a replay and then be able to select what skulls are active and what difficulty you want. Uh, but I'm still very curious, and the answer hasn't been too obvious, for me at least, uh, how this will impact the start of a co-op session. Uh, select setting a mission uh, to replay resets it and teleports you and your fire team to the location to tackle the challenge. You're free to wander off to do something else, fast travel away, or resume your furthest mi main mission. I'm assuming that's within the limitations of the area of operations. Uh, so they go on to say, let's say I want to replay Warship uh, Gabracken which I think is how you say it, which is the first mission of the game. 
after my co-op partner and I have collected a bunch of Spartan cores. Will those upgrades carry over to that earlier point in the game? Mulkey says yes. This opens up all new ways to play for the players uh, to experience those earlier missions, and we can't wait to see what experiences folks have with that. Um, so they also go on to say that one of the very cool and unexpected side effects of this upcoming campaign update is the addition of several brand new achievements. Where did the inspiration come from? Can you give us an idea of what players can expect? Uh, Mulkey says that the new achievements are targeted at opportunities afforded by, by both mission replay and co-op. Some of the mission replay achievements are targeted at immaculate play challenges, uh, while the co-op ones revel in the possibilities presented by playing together. To give you an example, one of them, we challenge you to kill en enemies with a graviton or a gravity hammer uh, from the back of a vehicle being driven by your buddy. Which is funny because they actually had an image of this uh, kind of in the actual waypoint that I was wondering about. And it didn't make much sense, but after reading through the actual article, it, it, it makes 100% sense now. Um, so it looks like if you're looking to get some more uh, achievement points, you've already played through the campaign and you've done everything. You got your lasso and that's that's all well and good. It looks like having this uh, mission replayed system, which is going to be for solo and co-op, will afford you the opportunity to be able to get more uh, achievements. Um, I'm curious to hear how solo players will will uh, kind of come to terms with the co-op designated achievements, uh, especially for fans that are um, super into 100%ing uh, a lot of the achievements for Halo games. Uh, so hopefully that's that's not too big an issue and, and people will be able to help each other out and uh, be able to get some of those co-op achievements finished up. So yeah, to kind of wrap things up, uh, this is starting on July 15th for Halo Insiders. Um, make sure you head over to halowaypoint.com to sign up if you're not familiar. There is a separate app that you have to download on your Xbox or PC to be able to get access to the Halo Infinite Insider. Uh, they do push out the notifications through the Waypoint and through email once you get invited to the flights that they're doing. I am already signed up on this, so uh, I will hopefully be able to do this with other people. Um, I've been playing through the campaign recently, just kind of on easy, just to have some fun because I, I really do love that world. And I think the weapons are, are so much fun. And sometimes you just want to go in and shoot some things and feel good about it and just, you know, be able to grapple things and smack them with a hammer. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing if I can do this with some friends. Uh, to be able to do some testing with this. Um, I do like testing games that I'm not technically covering, like Sea of Thieves I don't because I don't want to get spoiled on stuff, but I do like testing games uh, that I am a fan of that I haven't really got any kind of content invested in it, if that makes sense. Um, so hopefully some folks will be out there uh, who are also Halo insiders and get the flight invitation so that we can kind of jump in and do some campaign co-op. I know a lot of folks also... They want to wait till it's fully out and then go through it because they don't want to have to go through it multiple times. They just want to enjoy it um, in a in a refined experience, too. So I don't blame you for that. And I definitely uh, think that it's, it's up to the folks that are willing to deal with uh, the rough edges um, that are going to help try and make sure that this camping co-op is uh, immaculate and fun for everyone to jump into when it launches. You mind telling me what you're doing on that ship, sir? finishing this fight.
Let's get into something that has been a long time coming. Now, I know we just talked about Halo Infinite being a long time coming with the campaign co-op, but this has been even longer. This has been since before 2017, uh, when people were fans of a game called Assassin's Creed 4 Black Flag. Uh, Ubisoft is the developer... And they have multiple, multiple studios across the world, uh, studies, studios across the world. And there's a game that has been on the horizon for what feels like an eternity. Uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm talking about Skull and Bones, the game that is built off of the idea that if you enjoyed Assassin's Creed Black Flag, the naval combat sailing around to different islands to get uh, resources and fighting other ships and sinking them and stealing their treasure then skull and bones is kind of what you're there for uh this was a game that was announced kind of e3 2077 or 2017 uh the same time that sea of thieves was announced and it felt like there was going to be a fervor of uh, what was going to be the best pirate game. Uh, there was uh, Sea of Thieves, which was one person, one pirate uh, sailing a ship and working on every aspect of it with other crew members to uh, try and make sure that you could get from place to place, sink other ships, and everything was very tactile. That game has been in production or has been launched since 2018 now, uh, going on its fifth year. And Assassin's Creed, uh, or excuse me, Skull and Bones has been MIA ever since. Uh, there's been a few updates, a couple rumblings of uh, a restructuring, um, them rebooting the game, and them kind of working on it and trying to decide what they wanted to go about it. Because originally the plan was you were going to do naval combat and it was going to be a purely PvP game. You were going to be fighting other ships. There wasn't going to be any real story to it. And there was a power progression, something that is lacking in Sea of Thieves. Uh, you would be able to upgrade your ship. You'd be able to get more powerful cannons. You'd be able to have an advantage uh, level-wise over other ships. And you would be able to take advantage of that into combat, something I wasn't a real big fan of. But if you've been looking for a very realistic styled uh, piratey game, Skull and Bones was effectively going to be that. And we haven't really heard a whole lot since. Uh, now, being that I have a lot of friends because of Sea of Thieves and having many of them being very big fans of pirates in general... I've naturally been uh, in talks with people over the years who have talked with developers from the Skull and Bones game and tried to keep up on it as I could. Uh, there's been a lot of people that have said over the years that it is definitely still coming. They're still working on it. Um, but unfortunately, with a lot of hardships for the studio, it's tough to say like if it was ever going to make launch um, with leadership changes and plenty of controversy um, that's kind of come around from a lot of the the workplace misconduct that Ubisoft has been dealing with over the last few years uh, just in general. Um, it's always been kind of interesting to find out like if this was something that was actually going to launch. Um, Recently, the Ubisoft kind of uh, Skull and Bones social media accounts um, have been a lot more active. Uh, they've been promoting a beta that has been available for signups uh, for a while, and we still haven't seen any betas uh, go live for this. So I'm still wondering when that's going to happen. Um, but we got some interesting news regarding this recently that talked about how uh, the ESRB for the game has been registered in Korea. 
Um, I believe it's actually been registered uh, in Brazil as well. And we got some interesting information from this. Uh, we got a bit of a description based on what the type of game is it's going to be and some of the different things that are going to come as a result of the rating. So uh, the rating is going to be M for Mature. Um, or Peggy 18, I believe. Uh, it's going to in, contain blood, strong language, suggestive themes, use of drugs, and violence, uh, which is pretty standard for what I would expect out of a piratey game. Uh, sea of Thieves manages to tread the edge of a teen rating very well. Uh, you can still deal with um, alcohol, but there's no use of drugs uh, or suggestive themes or strong language. Um, there's also no blood as well, too, so they get away from that. So most of what they deal with is uh, alcohol and uh, violence. Um, and and I think that's about it, honestly. I'd have to take a look, but uh, Sea of Thieves cuts out a lot of that without really having to worry too much. So it, it kind of broadens the perspective of uh, or the scope of, of who you can actually have play the game uh, for for this and not have to worry about it. But uh, M for Mature means that you're going to get a much more gritty and a much more realistic uh, look at what pirate life was actually like. I'd be very interested to see, given the depths of historical context that they bring to the Assassin's Creed franchise lately, uh, both with Origins and Valhalla, um, to kind of find out, uh, and I think Odyssey as well too. I I'm not 100% sure, but I know for sure Odyssey and Valhalla have the uh, the tour guide walkthroughs for uh, teaching that you can kind of go through and visit um, uh, locations and and uh, in, in the history and kind of learn about those worlds, um, given that they're based on actual locations. Uh, I'd be curious to know how deep Skull and Bones goes to the history of piracy and kind of break up some of the myths and fantasy from the the realism of of what life was like as a pirate how deep did they go on that or if this is just going to be a lot more of kind of a casual uh, jaunty dive into the gritty realism that you would want out of a, a realistic pirate game so be very interested um, the idea for the theme comes along to uh, a, a couple weird notes uh, players take on the role of a shipwreck outcast on a journey to become a pirate captain through missions exploring settlements and uh, settle settlements set sentiments i don't know where I, where i'm getting this uh, again it's been a weird week um, and engaging in naval combat so I'm, it feels like there's a story here and I'm excited for that because I do want a story. I do enjoy the idea of having a story. Uh, I have, I've constantly wanted a really good Pirates of the Caribbean game to come out. Um, and we, we did get a bit of that with Sea of Thieves. We did get a very good story that was a very PVE focused game. Um, I'm still very much in love with the idea of having a strictly PVE game just because uh, I don't need other people ruining my fun because uh, they're better or have had more time in the game. I just like the idea of playing through a, a piratey game, which is is why I, I want to dive into Skull and Bones and kind of figure out what the heck is going on with it um, and see where they decided to take it as a result of having this huge, huge uh, gap between when they announced it and when it, it's expected to come out which according to them is uh, before March 2023. But given that the ESRB ratings are being registered in other countries, that's usually an indicator that the game is closer to launch than uh, they're kind of letting on. Um, 
one of the interesting things about this is that uh, apparently the ESRB listings only mention PC, Xbox Series X and S, and PS5 as well as Stadia for its release platforms, which means that it would be ditching the, the older gen consoles for the PS4 and the Xbox One. And if I'm being 100% honest here, I'm okay with this. Uh, we're, we're in the second year of having these new consoles. Uh, some people are still having trouble given their location. Um, I've been very fortunate to be able to pick up multiple of the new new gen consoles. Um, and it, at this point, I feel like if you're diligent enough uh, or if, you, if you're able to have folks who are uh, around when these things go live, you can generally get a next gen console if you want one. And I, and I would say that the Xbox Series S is the, the absolute king of being able to uh, be available for people if they want it at a lower price point than any of the other next-gen next gen consoles. Um, and speaking to that, actually, there was a story that came out last week uh, that I, I totally forgot about. And I, I shout out to People's Republic, who's a, a member of the Keelhauled community that um, posts a lot of the gaming news in that Discord that I that I like to try and keep up on. And funny enough, I will end up tweeting about it, but then I actually, I 100% forget to actually post it in the, uh, in the discord server. So, uh, he's always been very good about, uh, helping out with that as well too. But we recently got news, um, that Xbox has outsold, uh, Sony PlayStation in Japan which is predominantly thanks to the fact that the Xbox Series X and S are more widely available. Um, this is the second week, I think, that Xbox has outsold the PS5. Um, and, and predominantly, a lot of people were saying that it was due to the combination of the Xbox Series S and Series S SKUs, and that the Series S was skewing the numbers in favor of uh, Xbox outselling the PS5 in Japan. Well, According to this, on June 23rd is when the article went out uh, over on GameSpot, thanks to uh, Darren uh, Bonthes. I'm not sure how you pronounce your last name. Um, they, they basically outsold the PS5 uh, just purely off of the Xbox Series uh, S consoles. So uh, at, the, at one point, people were like, oh, you, you shouldn't include the Series S because it's skewing numbers. You know, you got to look at just the Series X and separate the S and don't count the S. Now the Xbox Series S has completely outsold the PS5 uh, altogether. And now people are like, no, 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 you can't do that. They're not the same console. One's more powerful than the other one. And it's like, okay, <laughs> some, of, some of the console warriors out there are starting to nitpick just a little too much based on numbers here. Um, but it's, it's just a really a really fantastic way to kind of say like, hey, you know what? Folks don't necessarily care so much about ecosystem. They will eventually play the games they want, but they still want to have access to next-gen hardware. And yes, is next-gen hardware. It is as fast and as uh, reliable as uh, as the X is. The, the pure difference there is the size of the hard drive, uh, the availability of, of resolution as far as like 4K versus 1080, um, and frame rate, of course. Um, but they are still trying to make sure that any game that plays on the uh, Series X um, is available on the Series S. The only difference is that you're sacrificing frame rate um, in some cases and uh, resolution in, in all cases. Um, but I, I still really am very proud of the Series S. I think it's a great way for 
uh, Xbox to be able to try and get their console out um, into the hands of people when right now that is that is the hardest thing to do given uh, COVID and the shortages with staffing, uh, given the silicone issues that have been coming as a result of, of uh, production and, and just trying to get these chips made. Um, everyone everyone has been trying to try and get more consoles out uh to the point where it's the the scalpers are still an issue um it's not nearly as big of an issue thankfully i think the availability of xbox uh and playstation 5 has gotten a lot better i've seen more cues lately saying that when something goes on sale it actually stays in sale for a lot longer than it has in the past so uh, we're definitely starting to get over the hill of uh the crunch or the 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 pain that comes from trying to get a hold of these consoles um and, and to that point too i've also seen xbox has been very very good about not only updating their uh xbox game class or game or no what is it project x cloud uh, servers, those server racks, the blades that they use to do cloud gaming, uh, those have all been like upgraded to Series X's, and you can feel it too when you when you stream games, whether it be on your Xbox One or your phone or a Samsung TV. The the speed of those is Xbox Series speed. It's it's great. Um, I love the X in that in that aspect uh, to the point where they're even doing uh, fun kind of kind of giveaways like there's a, an xbox sweepstakes going on right now if you head over to twitter um they have an xbox series x that looks like a mjolnir and it has a <laughs> it legit has a thor mjolnir skin around the xbox and a hammer attached to it as kind of a giveaway uh for thor love and thunder which is um it looks like the contest ends on 7 22 uh you do have to be over 18 um, I don't know if I go into the rules here. Let me see if it's open or available to everyone. I don't know how many. Okay, so they're only doing one of these. Yeah, they're doing one Thor Love and Thunder Series X custom console with a controller. Uh, let's see who is available for this. So you have to be available or you can't be part of Microsoft, essentially, which is always kind of the thing uh, to enter. You must be a legal resident of any Xbox console supported country or region and be 18 years of old uh, of age. So um, in this instance, it's um, pretty much let's see, what are the regions? I think if you're listening to this, there's a really, really strong chance that your uh, that your your region is supported because obviously this is in english and even countries like vietnam turkey thailand taiwan switzerland sweden spain uh, slovakia singapore saudi arabia russia portugal poland philippines norway new zealand or new zealand netherlands mexico malaysia korea japan italy israel all of these they're pretty much everything is uh all set oh actually malaysia is not supported i am so sorry philippines is not supported Thailand is not supported. Why do they have these if they're not supported? What the hell is the point of having these if you're not going to? Oh, because it might be for something else. Yeah. Okay. That's what it is. Xbox consoles. Anyway, there's a list. There's a link. You can go to xbox.com forward slash en dash us dash regions. Uh, if you're in the US to be able to look at this list. Obviously, if you're in the United States, you're going to be eligible. So I don't think I really need to tell you that. Uh, but it is a really cool skin. And it just kind of goes to show like, hey, they are 
they've got a really a, a whole bunch of ideas on what kind of weird kind of console themes they want to do for this way more than i've seen uh with the the sony playstation sony playstation has barely come out with uh different plates uh for the ps5 and their controllers as far as different skins xbox uh design lab has just absolutely exploded with the number of pastel colors you can add to your custom controller um i am still waiting for them to add the metallics back in or translucence in to to be able to play with those um and once they add like metallics and translucence to the design lab i will 100 spend 150 bucks on a regular xbox controller and i will customize the hell out of that thing because i can't wait Come to join me crew lad, welcome aboard. All right, let's talk about the gaming community and uh, the stupid stuff that, uh, that that comes from Twitter. Um, if you guys don't know, there is a meme that's been going around on social media, on Twitter. They're a 10, but they blank, blank, blank. Uh, a lot of people, I, I don't know where it came from. I don't really care. It's a, honestly a really stupid thing to even be doing. Uh, but there was a lot of stuff that went on uh, the recent this week as uh, regards to an EA tweet. And the tweet basically says, there are 10, but they only like playing single player games. Now, this seems kind of weird, given that EA does make a lot of money off of uh, their multiplayer games, but they also make really good single player games like Jedi Fallen Order, Titanfall 2, the Dragon Age series, Mass Effect. Uh, so when they come out and they say like, there are 10, but they only like playing single player games, it's kind of like foot in mouth and you really should retract that tweet. Um, it had a lot of people coming out and being like, bro, what? Even Vince Sampella, who is the um, person responsible for uh, the, the Jedi Fallen Order games that are going to be coming out or already out, is kind of like, you know, face palming the situation. Um, you know, you've also got Zach uh, Mumbeck. Uh, who was a part of one of the studios that was shut down by EA. Uh, he says, this is a company that shut down my studio and laid off a hundred great developers because we were making a single player game. So I really got to say, I feel bad for the person who was behind making this tweet. Um, I'm sure they thought it was funny and uh, catered to the multiplayer nature of a lot of EA games, but it doesn't, it doesn't really serve you well to throw one thing under the bus for the sake of trying to make a good joke um it's kind of a it's kind of a, a bummer uh likewise on social media uh, apparently a bunch of people were really just harsh dicks and not even like the 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 dicks that you would expect to find people just being real dicks when it comes to uh how to treat developers online so there has been a lot of people um and there's been some people that have been like uh, saying that there's an inevitable god of war ragnarok announcement happening of course there is there has for a while but there were a couple of people in the industry uh who who follow the industry who write a, write and report on the industry said on june 30th we were supposed to get something about that that didn't happen which again always goes back to my feelings about rumors fuck rumors if the, it's a rumor it's just a rumor it's not something that's going to happen we'll talk about it when it actually happens uh the problem here is is that um because of people sharing information about something that has uh that is a leak or a rumor it gets people hyped up and a lot of people on uh the the on twitter are essentially like 
they're 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 gamers are passionate they really want to play their games they really want to know more about the games that are coming out and they're so impatient that they end up being complete assholes online because it is an anonymous thing they aren't thinking about how they would do this in real life if they were in front of these people because most people wouldn't because most people generally have enough common sense or at least i thought they did to not be assholes um and, and to yell at people or tell them uh that they're they're horrible and all kinds of just disgusting shit. uh so cory barlog who was the former um director for the for the first god of war uh came out and tweeted uh, quote tweeting basically like uh, a thing that was going on so the, this has been going on for a while um, there was uh, one person who said uh, there was one of the developers for God of War uh, she's the cinematic producer of God of War um, she says pro tip sending me dick pics asking for the God of War Ragnarok release date will not in fact get me to reveal the release date to the people who are doing so when did that ever work for you um, and then he, she, she posted a GIF of, uh, get some help. Stop it. Uh, Corey Barlog, uh, uh, subtweeted that and said, sorry, Estella, uh, that is complete fucking shit behavior. Um, and one of the other people who is a fan of stealth and story driven games, apparently, uh, with uh, six, 619 followers said, I blame the snitch and Jason Schreier for this. If they didn't leak that there was going to be a reveal on the 30th, then people wouldn't have built unrealistic expectations and there wouldn't be all this extra pressure on you guys. Corey Barlog then quote tweeted that and said, don't. The answer is not finding someone to blame or focus on hate. Maybe just pay it forward and treat the people that make the things we love with some human decency and respect. This is not a battle. We are not at war. We are just trying to make plus enjoy things together. And Phil Spencer actually subtweeted this and said, so well said, Corey, can't wait to enjoy God of War when it comes out. And thanks to you and the team for the amazing work that goes into creating things we love. Thank you. I can't believe people are being such fucking nitwits on Twitter lately. It's been bad. It's been so bad that I'm 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 honestly I'm really glad that I'm kind of out of most of those circles like I dip into it to kind of keep an eye on things but I really don't like engaging a whole lot with these things. I kind of like my insular uh, Sea of Thieves community, but even Sea of Thieves community you guys can really like you guys can do some stupid stupid shit. Um but I'm pretty much over the gaming community on Twitter. It's toxic, it's fanboyish, it's honestly one of the worst worst communities i've seen and i've seen some really nasty communities it's not it's it's to the point where like call of duty warzone communities are bad um god overwatch is still kind of bad there's a lot of games that i i dip into the into the uh i hear like the comms of like in games and stuff like this and i'm like who are you people are you are you actually adults do you pay for this on your own do you live on your own are you do you like go out into public and interact with human beings because i usually don't and i don't feel like this is a hard thing to do you just don't be an asshole so i know there's a lot of cussing in this but i'm i'm kind of revved up right now by this um i'm i'm just i'm so pissed off at the idea that you can't just shut up about something like you can be excited for something you can want to know something but don't go after the devs for it do i want to know what Everwild and skull of bones is sure am i bugging the devs about it a little bit on twitter once in a while like hey it'd be cool if we had some information but i'm not like 
in their DMs being like, how come I haven't heard more about Everwild? I thought this was supposed to come out on Earth Day 2022 uh, and it didn't. So what the hell's happened? It's like, it doesn't fucking matter. It'll be out when it's out. It's just like a rumor. It's not a real thing. It's not a real thing until they say it's a real thing. By the way, apparently um, Metroid Trilogy or Metroid Prime Remake is coming out at the end of the fall. That's a, a rumor from Jeff Grubb. Uh, if it's true, I'm excited, but I won't, you know, I'll, I'll be excited when I actually get a, a chance to buy it because I, I do want to actually go back and play those games. Uh, I don't have a Wii or a Wii U, so I can't dive into the, the trilogy that they already released. Um, speaking of which, I got a smoking deal on, uh, what was it, Diamond Pearl from Best Buy. It was like 30 bucks. So, yeah, uh, that's probably what I'll be jumping onto. And I doubt, oh, I freaking, I bought into, uh, this is a weird tangent, but I bought into the Nintendo Switch expansion pack. I paid the 50 bucks for a year, so I've got my Switch online again. And I've been jumping into the N64 stuff because I'll, I'll be 100% honest. I saw Pokemon Snap went there and I'm, and I'm expecting that God like GoldenEye will eventually make it there. I'm pretty sure we'll eventually get GoldenEye um, back on there. It seems like there's there's been a little more play around that. But I really just wanted to play Pokemon Snap like the original Pokemon Snap. And uh, right off the bat, I've been I've, I enjoy it. It's cute. It's adorable. It's weird not having it like with an N64 controller. So I'm going to be keeping an eye out for that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to that stuff. Weird tangent. I know. Sorry. Uh, let's get into the last thing that I wanted to talk about, which was blizzard plans to acquire, uh, the, the makers behind Spellbreaker or Spellbreak, um, proletariat, which is an organ based studio. Uh, proletariat, or no, excuse me, Boston-based studio. I was thinking of something else. Uh, proletariat is planning to become uh, part of Blizzard, and they are planning on working on the World of Warcraft uh, teams and, and that game, um, including the Dragonflight expansion that is coming later this year, which was really surprising that they, they were planning on having Dragonflight come out so soon. We haven't even gotten alpha testing for that yet uh, that I've heard about. So Spellbreak was a battle royale game where wizards and witches cast spells at each other. Uh, that's going to be Sunset. Um, apparently, they just said that they they really wanted to make that a thing. They really, really wanted to uh, have that be something that they could do. Um, I think it was Seth uh, Sivak said that they they basically they, they tried really hard. They wanted to, but it wasn't going to happen. So they decided to, to kind of shutter that. They've been working with the world of warcraft team for a while now uh they've been learning how to to uh, make content for world of warcraft this isn't like they're half they're they're gonna get bought and then they're just gonna immediately start working on world of warcraft they have been working on the world of warcraft game for a bit now and the reason why they're being acquired or or plan to be acquired is because it's one of those things where if a studio is already that ingrained in the ecosystem, into the world and building of that game, better to get them in as a, a, as a full-time studio on the on the actual expansion as opposed to just continuously contracting them. It's a lot of effort, and it's, sometimes it's easier just to uh, make the acquisition, make it official, put a ring on it, um, very much in the same way that a lot of Sony studios get acquired. This is a Sony studio... They work on a game, they build a game, the game becomes successful. Sony looks at that, evaluates the, uh, the, the, the impact that they had with the game that they released versus the cost of the actual studio, and then decides whether or not they want to make a proposal to actually purchase the studio. This is the same situation. 
Blizzard or Activision Blizzard has been working with this studio for a while. Uh, Proletariat has has enjoyed the time that they've spent working on World of Warcraft. They want to continue that, and as a result, they will uh, eventually, if the if the acquisition goes in, it'll be one of the biggest acquisitions that they've had since um, what was it? Vicarious Visions which was bought uh, to make more or to put put be put on the Diablo team. Now, I will say that the that the Vicarious Visions acquisition seemed a little different. It seemed like that was because they were working on Tony Hawk Pro Skater uh, 1 and 2 remake. They uh, We found out that they had plans, thanks to Tony Hawk in an interview, that they had plans to work on 3 and 4. Um, because of the nature of them being a studio that was part of Activision Blizzard, um, they were put onto Diablo 4. And that doesn't necessarily mean that that was something that was fully up to them because that was a choice that was made uh, when we were still kind of, it was before uh, Mike Ybarra really kind of took over. Mike Ybarra, formerly from um, Xbox and now head of uh, Blizzard, is kind of overseeing a lot of the studios, which is why you're, you're probably seeing some of the choices made recently. And, and I think I think he even put out a statement recently, too. Uh, yeah, here it is. Uh, so this is coming from uh, businesswire.com. I had this um, ready to go here. We are putting players at the forefront of everything we do, and we are working hard to both meet and exceed their expectations, said Mike Ybarra, president of Blizzard Entertainment. A critical part of taking care of players is taking care of our teams, making sure we have uh, the resources to produce experiences our community will love while giving our teams space to explore even more creative opportunities within their projects. Proletariat is a perfect fit for supporting Blizzard's mission in bringing high-quality content to our players more often. So what they're looking to do is give Proletariat uh, the opportunity to work on content so that other teams can start kind of playing with different ideas and trying to do something that will inevitably serve the team. This, These are words that, that ring, and, and I'm going to be 100% honest, they don't ring uh, wholly true in, in the history of Blizzard, but I do believe that Mike Ybarra has a lot more drive to making sure that Blizzard looks good. Um I still think that Blizzard is realistically looking at more of the how can we make more money right now than they are at making good games. Um, I see this with Diablo Immortal and how this game was was developed uh, overseas. It was developed for something that is essentially trying to make money. It's not trying to be the next Diablo. So because of that, you have to look at what they're doing with the next Diablo. And Diablo 4 looks like it's something that they are trying to make, which is going to be actually a, a game of a game, not a game that is intended to make money. Much like Pokemon Unite, much like uh, League of Legends Wild Rift, there are games that are made to make money, and there are games that are made to make games uh, or, or make experiences, I guess would be a better way to go about it. Like God of War is a game that is made to have an experience it is not a game that is made to make money mobile games are mostly made to make money they're not games to make experiences most people usually don't unless you go back to the way before times before games uh drop down to free to play um when you had games like uh fez or uh monument valley things like that those were those were games that were intended to be designed to be given an experience not games that were made to uh make money 
Um, it's the fear that I have with Sea of Thieves. Sea of Thieves was a game that was made to have experiences. And while I still think that that is very true, uh, they are still a game that has to make money. Um, so they're going about it in a different way. They still charge to, to uh, buy their game, but they offer a season pass. But their season pass is probably one of the best season passes in all of gaming. Uh, if I'm being 100% honest, it's one of the easiest to complete. It has more content than the actual paid version so the the free season pass is actually better than the paid pre uh paid, paid yeah paid season pass so sorry i'm running out of breath um i gotta stop for a second and actually kind of get my words back here um there was a tweet or not a tweet but a uh, a blog post that went up on blizzard or world of warcraft.com uh they said hello world of warcraft community we know that you are hungry for new content, and I'm really proud of how our development teams are working to meet or exceed those expectations. There's more happening in WoW than ever, and this is just the beginning. To help support our increased content needs, since May, we are, we've been working with a great development partner, Pro, Proletariat. Proletariat was founded in 2012 by industry veterans uh, from Turbine, Harmonix, Zenga, and Insomniac. Uh, their strong leadership team has a long history of working together, deep MMO experience working on Ashran's Call, Lord of the Rings Online, and D&D Online, and a strong presence in Boston where they're based, which is a big thing for Blizzard, honestly. Uh, our work with the proletariat team has been going well today we are excited to announce that blizzard has closed the acquisition of proletariat something we've been working on for a while um together our team will expand our development pipeline for wow our plan is to continue growing both our irvine and boston based teams and with shared creative leadership providing feedback to ensure we continue to meet our or exceed players and our quality and delivery expectations the addition of proletariat brings 100 talented blizzard employees to the new blizzard entertainment studio proletariat's transition is becoming part of blizzard and will take several months and we look to or look forward to all the ways our combined strength will help us meet our goals help our teams and better serve you please join us in welcoming proletariat to blizzard they're very much looking forward to working alongside the community to continue to build the future of world of warcraft um those are some really good leadership uh veterans from games zenga has been amazing but i do i do have concerns because they have been kind of on that mobile market where they know how to market uh and get your money harmonics great for uh all the stuff that they did for the the rock band stuff uh insomniac obviously they've got a, a long pedigree of of amazing games on the sony platform so they know how to do that but the the big thing here is the mmo experience ashron's call lord of the rings online and dd and online not amazing titles but still a, a strong understanding of where mmos are coming from after world of warcraft what worked what didn't work um and then how they can kind of add some of that knowledge to the well of knowledge that is uh, world of warcraft because world of warcraft does need to stay fresh it does need to have things that are keeping it interesting that's why they've got things like world of warcraft classic so they can keep things kind of grounded for the fans that love that uh but really experiment with retail as far as different um game mechanics different uh, ways to kind of expand the growth of what was good about the originals versus uh where they want to be able to play with different tools different things things and kind of push world of warcraft forward it is a long in the tooth engine it is a long in the tooth franchise uh and i'm hoping that some fresh blood into 
uh, into the body will help kind of revitalize it a little bit more. Um, and it was a weird kind of death becomes us reference. Uh, so as we kind of move on with this, uh, there's a few things real quick. Actually, I'm going to take a quick bit break because I can't quite find where, where the heck did I have the list of games for games with gold? All right, so let's talk about the sort of free things that came out for July. Uh, we're going to dive into the PlayStation Plus games because they're a little bit easier and we'll get that knocked out. So if you're a PlayStation Plus, uh, Essentials, I believe, is what the, the original one is. Um, they, they changed it all, so it's all still kind of like in my head rolling around. But they've got Crash Bandicoot 4. It's about time. Now, bear in mind, this is coming out on July 2nd, so you still have a little bit of time to get God of War if you need to. Uh, but Crash Bandicoot 4, it's about time is coming out that is available for uh ps4 and ps5 uh for free if you want to and you're part of the ps plus membership that's the um the fourth game in the franchise that came out just what was it 2020 yeah 2020 um so nice that we're getting something a little bit older but it's cool that that we're getting that uh also the dark pictures uh man of medan um this is the first entry in the super massive games horror anthology series uh similar to studios other hits like the quarry and until dawn um the man medan is a narrative-based adventure with uh, an emphasis on player choice to alter the course of the story uh uh, man and Medan follows five friends who go on a trip together. Um, and I think it starts out with you on a boat doing uh, doing deep sea swimming or scuba diving. Very weird game. Um, but I mean, if you're into that kind of things, you get to make the choices and then you see the actions and stuff like that. Uh, the last one is Arcade Ageddon. It's a coop, uh, coop, yeah, cooperative, cooperative. Um, I'm thinking of uh, Sly Cooper, which we just found out recently is not in, in any kind of production. Uh, there's a cooperative multiplayer shooter set inside an arcade game. It supports up to four players and has both PvE and PvP activities. Arcade again is played from a third-person perspective and has stylish vis visuals that like that look quite fitting alongside the premise. So those are going to be your June or your July games uh, for Xbox. We've got four games that are coming out. Um, the ones that are available right now are uh, let's see. What is do 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 July 1st and July? Yeah, July 1st to July 15th. You've got Thrillville off the rails, which is a roller coaster uh, creator that you get to, to have fun with with different worlds and themes. Um, that's an old Xbox 360 title. And then you've also got the uh, Beasts of Marvala Island, which is um, I'm trying to think of, it's it's actually it's I might check this out because it's honestly like Pokemon Snap. And I just talked about how I was enjoying Pokemon Snap. Uh, but you run around, you take photos, you solve puzzles. Uh, it's a weird world. It kind of reminds me of Avatar too. Uh, not the last airbender, but the, um, the James Cameron Avatar. Uh, so if you're interested in something that is kind of like Pokemon Snap, uh, this one is a good one to pick up and that's available now. Then uh, the ones that are coming at the middle of the month are going to be uh, Replica or replit no re rep relitka relitka god i hate the words like this when they do shit like this always pays uh so much so much homage to um other horrible portmanteaus like nindies and uh such uh so relitka is a first person shooter physics-based puzzle game 
where players must creatively combine magnetism and gravity in order to proceed, taking on the role of a physicist stranded on a derelict moon base. Solving puzzles is the only way to save your daughter and perhaps all of humanity in this eerie sci-fi adventure. Um, the last one is one that I'm going to actually say is a must pick up especially if you're a fan of Diablo. Uh, this is Torchlight. Torchlight came out, um, gosh, I can't remember when that came out. It's an old game though. Uh, it's something that's available from the 15th to the 31st of July. Uh, it is an action RPG, much in the same way that Diablo is. Um, in, in this instance, it's actually made by former developers of Torchlight, or excuse me, Diablo. Uh, so if you like Diablo, then you'll probably like Torchlight. There's three uh, Torchlight now and they've gotten better over the years uh this being the first one it's a good one just to kind of pick up and play uh if you like dungeon crawlers if you like action rpgs um this one oh i remember it was uh um got 2000 2009 yeah because it was it was just before yeah it was just before starcraft 2 wings of liberty uh, which I believe was 2010, if I remember, because I was still in Alaska at the time. Uh, but anyway, um, Torchlight, great game. I, I definitely, especially if you've if you've heard about Diablo Immortal, you've gotten that itch to jump into an action RPG. Uh, from the 15th to the 31st, you can go into Games with Gold, pick up Torchlight if you don't already have it. Uh, and then if you like that, there's Torchlight 2, which was definitely a lot better. And then Torchlight 3, I haven't dove into uh, yet. So I'm still looking to, to jump into that. But Torchlight 1... Definitely a good game. Definitely a good game, given that it was their first as a studio coming off the back of, uh, what was it, Diablo 2, I think, Diablo 2. Um, so, yeah, fun stuff. Anyway, that's going to do it for this episode of the Xbox Wrap Up. Uh, again, I am super sorry that this is coming out late. It's one of those things I just, ah, man, I the whole week has been really tough. Um, it's been super busy. And when I got done with work on Friday, I got home. My wife got home. She wanted to go out to have dinner uh, at Skip's, which is our favorite uh, burger place. And when I got home, I didn't realize how much my body needed to just relax. I, I literally like my stomach was was full. I was like, oh, I have to digest this. I lay down and I crashed hard. And then when I got up, I felt terrible. I needed like I got some some um, Pepto-Bismol. I got some ibuprofen. Uh, I drank lots of water and I ended up working on the podcast. But it, it just it was it was one of those things where like four o'clock I woke up from laying on the floor in the office because I just needed to lay down and I just wasn't feeling good. So I'm glad that I, I decided to take last night. I slept uh, most of the night. I woke up today feeling a lot more refreshed. If you can tell, like the first half of the episode versus the last half of the episode has been a very different uh, energy. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that I got a chance to kind of take that mental break because I feel like I, I didn't realize I needed it until I actually got it. And now that I've had it, I'm ready to tackle the rest of this weekend and actually looking forward to to hanging out and chatting with people, especially given that it's a three day weekend. Um, so we'll, we'll have more news next week. Uh, next week, I'm not quite sure what's going to happen because uh, obviously Fourth uh, of July, big holiday for uh, America. I'm going to have it off. I'm going to be spending the whole day with my wife um, and we uh, we don't know what kind of news is coming, but my birthday is on the sixth and I know I'm going to be out um, kind of with my wife doing dinner to celebrate that. Uh, actually, we're doing it, I think, a day early or something because she has yoga on my birthday and she wants to go do the yoga. Uh, so with that, I think 
it's it's uh, it's tough to say but i might be able to get friday's episode in normally i'm going to try really hard to see if i can get most of it done on thursday but given that thursday is like the day after my birthday um i'm not sure like how how mentally prepared i am because let's let's be 100 percent honest i'm like grinding down the hours of my 30s i've got like three more days of full 30s before i hit my 40s <laughs> it's starting to wear on me i'm gonna be honest i don't want to be 40 i feel like 40 is where you you literally have to get serious about being an adult and i'm not ready for that yet i still need more years Still need more years in my 30s. But we're going to be talking about games news uh, next week for sure. I'm definitely going to try and get some stuff in there. Uh, lots of stuff going on in Sea of Thieves. If you guys don't know, uh, Twitch drops are happening. There's a, a new adventure. Um, content's coming out. I'm going to be diving into that in the Keelhauled podcast if you want to know more about that. I know a lot of you are listening to this because of the Keelhauled podcast, and thank you for that. Um, Destination Indie is a show that I produce. Uh, I've been very bad about playing the games that they are working on and getting the episodes edited, but they are now on YouTube, Spotify, all the other podcatchers to uh, give you an idea of games that you can play through Games Pass when they come out um, and focus on indies, games that uh, don't get as much spotlight as the bigger AAA games. So head over to Destination Indie if you want to listen to um, uh, past episodes that we've done with... Uh, 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 um, indie titles that were on game pass i'm not sure if they're all still on game pass uh but there's definitely some and, and most of them honestly it's funny enough uh tend to be annapurna games which is is something i didn't realize i was going to be a fan of i didn't realize like destination indie was going to be the reason why i found and started to really love um uh, uh, uh annapurna producers but man they make a lot of really really good games like what remains of edith finch and such uh so we did that uh, i'm working on the latest episode for them and i'll try to get that edited this week uh i keep saying that and i, I just i really need to just sit down and start editing and stuff uh and, and kind of work towards getting them set up uh for success so that's what's going on there um gosh uh, so much news that came out this week we had some really big news things that i I just didn't get a chance to actually fit into this episode, but we're, I'm going to cut this out probably because it's already going long and I still got to finish editing and get this published because it's already Saturday. I love you guys. Have a good week. Have a good weekend.